Hello and welcome to the FIC podcast where you'll hear teaching and resources for church leaders to help independent churches work together to reach Britain for Christ. How can we care well for people in our churches who have experienced trauma during the pandemic? FIC National Director John Stevens was joined for this webinar by Catherine Haddo, a chartered psychologist and part-time women's worker at North Bradley Baptist Church, to think about how church leaders can care best for those in their churches who have experienced trauma. This is an especially important topic as the effects of the coronavirus pandemic are felt as society opens up more in the coming weeks and months. Once again, we want to start by turning to God's word. Um, uh, Before half term, we've been looking through the Psalms of Ascent. As we come to the um, remainder of these um, uh, sort of webinars, as we head up towards the, uh, the, the summer, I want to take us to 1 Thessalonians and to just remind us of some absolute foundations for um, our ministry. As we look um, uh, to come out of this COVID time, I think it's uh, good for us to be reminded of um, the foundations of, of the ministry that we want to have and we want to see in our churches. So let me turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read um, uh, from uh, chapter 2, verses 1 uh, to 2. Paul writes, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. And just a reminder there, the absolute foundation for our ministry is that our ministry is a ministry of proclamation. Our ministry is primarily a ministry of uh, telling other people um, a message. That's what Paul emphasizes there. That's what he did in Thessalonica. Um, He came to this town and um, he dared to tell uh, the gospel uh, of God. The language is very striking. He dared to tell it because of the opposition that there was to the gospel. He'd experienced opposition in Philippi and he faced similar opposition when he went to uh, Thessalonica from those who hated the gospel and didn't want to listen to it. Um, That opposition that he faced was physical persecution. In fact, they even tried to um, sort of kill him and he he was driven out uh, ultimately of um, uh, Thessalonica. Now, we don't face that same physical um, persecution but we do still face considerable opposition in our culture to the gospel. The gospel is not a message that people want to hear. They don't want to hear it because of its exclusivity, because it speaks of human wickedness and sin and our need for forgiveness. It completely cuts against the grain of people's desire to be told um, that they are good and to have their self-esteem boosted. There is immense opposition to um, the gospel in our culture. And there may even be opposition um, in our churches to the gospel. Perhaps as we come out of the COVID period, people might be thinking they want to hear something different to um, the gospel. Well, here is a reminder to us that our fundamental task is to be those who dare to tell um, the gospel. And um, of course, Paul's ministry in Thessalonica was evangelistic. He was church planting. But I don't think we should confine his telling of the gospel simply to his evangelism. Um, Actually, um, his telling of the gospel was also the way he discipled the new Christians in Thessalonica as he applied the truth of the gospel to them and called them to live in the light of it. We need to dare to tell the gospel not only to unbelievers, but actually to believers so that they will live for the Lord Jesus. The gospel, of course, is the good news about Jesus himself. 
the content of this message is really spelt out in chapter one, verses nine and ten. The gospel is a message about a person and what that person has done. The gospel is the message about Jesus, who is the son of God, who uh, came from heaven, who has died, who has been raised, um, who is going to return again in judgment um, and who rescues his people from the coming wrath. The gospel is about who Jesus is. It's about what Jesus has done. Uh, and it's about what we need to be rescued from, which is the judgment of God because of our sin and our rebellion against him. And that is the message that we need to dare to um, uh, tell. And the great encouragement of these verses is that Paul was able to dare to tell the gospel with the help of God. In his own strength, it was not something he could have done, but he knew the help of God to be able to dare to tell this message. I think as we um, continue to minister, I know that we've been doing this all through the COVID period, but we're going to need to keep on doing it. We need to keep on daring to tell the gospel, the glorious message about Jesus, who he is and what he's done, reminding people that wrath is what they're being delivered from. And we need the help of God to be able to do that. Let's um, pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for the glorious privilege of being involved in gospel ministry. Thank you that you've given us this glorious good news about Jesus to declare. We pray that we would dare to speak it boldly despite opposition. We ask and pray that we might know your help to be able to do that. May this be a great blessing to our churches and we pray that even as we come out of this COVID period, we might see gospel growth, uh, people coming to know the Lord Jesus and people growing to greater maturity in the Lord Jesus. Please be with us in our webinar. We ask and pray that you would help us to be equipped and encouraged by all that Jonathan and Catherine have to share with us and teachers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let me hand over to um, Catherine. Catherine, so much for coming and uh, being willing to speak with us and help us with this really big issue today. Right, hopefully everyone can see that and, and everybody can hear me. Uh, but thank you. Thank you for inviting me to, to talk about this really important area. And I, I think I just want to say up front before I start that um, it's very difficult to talk about a topic like uh, trauma without mentioning some of the things that cause trauma. And I'm just very aware that that might be distressing for some. Uh, it could even be triggering for others. So I just want to say up front, please do take care of yourself. If you're feeling uncomfortable, uh, please switch the screen off. Just go outside, have a break, get in creation and, and talk to someone about how you're feeling. Uh, please do care for yourself. because Some of these things might, might be uh, difficult to, to hear. So let me uh, just spend a few minutes going through this really important topic and I first just want to sort of ask the question really trauma care after Covid why why do we need to think about it and, and actually it's a very obvious question really uh, but people in our churches will be experiencing the painful effects of trauma and it's possible that some even listening now or maybe listen later will have experienced trauma themselves and you know, suffering takes many, many different forms, doesn't it? And we, we always need to show great care when we're walking with someone who's suffering. But I think in this particular area of trauma, it is very, very easy to cause further harm and re-traumatize survivors. So having an awareness of trauma 
really does equip us to help not to cause further harm to trauma survivors that have already experienced so much. Obviously, we can only touch the surface in this, this half an hour or so that we've got today, but I, I do hope that what you hear will be helpful, that um, it, it's easy to feel overwhelmed by this topic. Um, can I encourage you just take one or two snippets, one or two, don't try and uh, take the whole thing. But even if you just take one or two, I think you'd be in far more of a position to, to help rather than harm. But just first of all, as way of, a way of an introduction, uh, let, let's just be clear, what, what is trauma? And literally the word trauma me means wound or injury. And it's caused by a, a situation which overwhelms the survivor. Now, just as we start and to sort of set it in context, I just want to share a, a very um, brief story about my, my daughter, Sophie. She's, she's 18 now, she was 17 last, uh, last year, but um, I'm thankful for her permission to use this story. But let me just illustrate something by this story. Um, because Easter Sunday 2020 was a, a glorious sunny day and Sophie went off with my, uh, our, our youngest uh, child, Kezi, for a dog walk near where we live. And they, ha they hadn't been gone long when we received a phone call from a very tearful Kezi saying, mum, you have to come, Sophie's had an accident. So Richard, my husband, Richard and I ran off across the fields where they'd headed, headed out. And very, very soon we found Sophie who had managed to slip into a stream and, and dislocate her leg in the process. And it was obviously a very serious injury and, and wound that she had endured. It, it needed uh, a call to a uh, 999 call. And despite it being the start of lockdown, um, the emergency service was were just absolutely amazing. I think five or six vehicles turned up. There were 15 emergency personnel there from all different disciplines. And um, they, they were just amazing in how they, they cared for Sophie and, and for us as, as um, struggling sort of parents watching what was going on. But what happened to Sophie that day uh, and us, it was an event and it was an experience. And I think we can um, take something from what, what then was a medical wound, a medical, uh, physical injury to take a lot of helpful stuff about how we deal with psychological wounds. Um, because as the emergency services uh, did a, a trauma care process on, uh, on Sophie, they, they went through a number of stages. So first of all, they looked at uh, Sophie's safety and stabilization. Uh, she was in water, which was important. She needed to be warm. She needed to be physically supported. She needed to be put on gas and air to, to help with, with everything that was going on. And when they'd stabilized her and got her safe, then they processed the trauma or, or began to, and sorry for anyone that's a bit squeamish, but they, they put her leg back in joint in, while she was in the stream. And then they looped back to uh, re-stabilize her and make her safe again. So at this stage, the, the fire brigade got her on a stretcher um, the paramedics protect, protected the joint and they got her out of the stream and into the ambulance. At hospital, they then processed the trauma again um, using lots of different disciplines. So there were x-rays, there was more pain relief, the orthopedic team got involved. 
Um, and um, But they were constantly also looping back and stabilizing her as all of these processes went on. And after a while, they started rehabilitation. So for Sophie's wounds, that meant there was a brace put on her leg so she could, and crutches so she could come home. And as the swelling went down and the pain eased, she could start bearing weight. And after a few weeks, things were, were going quite well. We, we got a call from the hospital, from the consultant who had been um, reviewing her x-ray again and unfortunately had noticed something they'd missed first time, which was that a chunk of bone from her femur had actually broken off in the, in the accident and was now in the middle of this joint. So she was very quickly admitted for emergency surgery and they, they took the bone out of the, uh, the joint and we were right back to, to you know, we'd gone, it felt like one step forward and, and, and many, many, many steps back. And although something had come out that had really caused a lot of uh, steps back, going forward, actually, we were in a much, much better situation for her recovery. Now, I don't obviously want to overwhelm you with this at all, but this is the sort of process that survivors of psychological trauma are helped through. It's a very similar uh, three-stage process in trauma therapy. Now, in no way am I telling you this because I expect you to come away from the webinar today and, and do this. Of course, I'm not. I really don't want to overwhelm busy pastors or, or church workers in any way. But I'd like you to just bear this in mind as I go through the rest of the, the talk, because as we have this in our mind and keep these awarenesses of recovery stages there, I think it can be very helpful in equipping us to help a trauma survivor rather than uh, cause more harm. And these are some of the areas I'm just going to very briefly look at with you. So in the area of state, safety and stabilization, I want to look at types, differences and symptoms. In terms of trauma processing, I want to draw your attention to wound awareness and, and, and frequent pastoral care errors that cause harm before looking at redemptive care. So um, let, let's have a look, uh, first of all, at safety and stabilization. And just like uh, Sophie with her physical trauma, the priority for, for those who've experienced psychological trauma, even as we just care for them in our churches, has to be safety and stabilization. And it's important to know I think, that it takes a long time and pastors are busy. This needs to be a team approach always. But it involves helping the survivor to recognize um, difficulties and symptoms and struggles that they're experiencing and to learn to cope with them in, in helpful ways. So when things like flashbacks or debilitating anxiety or powerful emotions like guilt and anger overcome, how can we help them to deal with this in a, um, a godly and a helpful way rather than a destructive way? But if we're going to help a survivor in these areas, we first of all need to have awareness ourselves of what some of them are. So first of all, I just want to give a very brief distinction between two types of trauma. And I'm very much oversimplifying this, but um, it will help us to have a broad and, and a more helpful understanding. So I'm sure all of you are aware of uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, always, uh, often referred to as well as single event trauma. And it, of course, it's commonly associated with war veterans, but it can be caused by the experience of any overwhelming event. For example, um, complicated childbirth, 
rape, terrorist attacks, serious accident, violent crime, natural disasters, exposure to death or injury in the workplace, medical procedures, or an unexpected and sudden death um, of a loved one. So just, just in that sort of very brief thing there, I think we can already see why we need to be aware of those in our congregations who are beginning to, to come back to church in a more full way and are going to need care because medical personnel are in our churches and some of them on the front line will have experienced this during, uh, during COVID. Um, sadly, there's going to be many people who have lost loved ones and, and haven't been able to be present with them um, as, as, as they've drawn it to, uh, to their end. Women have gone through really difficult deliveries without um, personal support and people have had to endure surgery and things without, without the usual personal care there. So I think already, you know, people are going to have experienced PTSD during COVID and will be experiencing the effects of that as they come back, if not already. But there's also another category of trauma that I want to draw your attention to because I think this is far less known about in, in our churches. And, and this is um, complex post-traumatic stress disorder or complex trauma, trauma or also known as multi-event trauma. And this is um, defined by the experience of prolonged repeated traumas from which the survivor had no means of escape and it usually occurs in the context of close relationships. Now, I, uh, a few weeks ago, Mez and Sharon did a really, really helpful session, didn't they, on domestic abuse. And, and in the press, domestic abuse is being referred to as the epidemic beneath, um, beneath the pandemic. I'd push back on that a little bit, actually. I, I would think I would say it is um, a pandemic of domestic abuse beneath the COVID pandemic. By no means is it uh, exclusive to this, co this country, but undoubtedly the instances of domestic violence over lockdown have, have gone absolutely through the roof. And, and this is also sadly true in Christian homes. So for those who have directly experienced um, or witnessed domestic abuse, or who have witnessed systematic spiritual abuse, or perhaps have experienced things like sexual abuse, complex trauma is the more likely experience that they would have had rather than PTSD. And the sad truth is that in our church families, there will be many survivors who are usually silently experiencing the difficulties associated with this kind of trauma. So I just want to show some of the differences between the two, because if we are to help survivors, we need to be aware of these because it has a big impact on our pastoral care for them. And as we consider some of these differences, I, I just want to say, I, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that PTSD isn't serious and complex trauma is. Um, PTSD is incredibly serious and very difficult for the, the sufferer and, and for their loved ones. But I just want to draw out some important distinctions. So what I, I've already said, uh, PTSD usually is a single event with a distinct end. Um, but complex trauma is repeated and ongoing. And linked to that, um, because of the, the events that often lead to uh, PTSD, the, the nature of those events tend to be public, open and shared a lot of the time, 
which means that help is usually available for those who have gone through it. And often, not always, but often, it happens in adulthood as well. But if we consider uh, complex trauma and the, the events that lead to that, particularly things like abuse, that is private and it's secret and shameful and isolating. And, and the sufferer is unable or too afraid to get help. And by de definition, it not always, but usually begins in childhood rather than adulthood. And that is significant too. If we go back to PTSD again, um, because of its single event um, nature, what, what it means is that safety can often quite quickly be established to start to enable recovery time. Um, however, with complex trauma, because of the repeated nature and the fact that there's just no escape, there is no ability for recovery time, that the, the survivor's existence of that really is just coping and surviving every single event. But in PTSD, because the, usually, not always, but usually it happens uh, more in adulthood, the brain is, is usually developed in contrast with, with complex trauma. And because it tends to happen earlier in life, the brain is growing and, and therefore development can be dramatically affected. Also, um, PTSD, again, because it tends to happen later, the events that cause it tend to happen later, um, stable and trusted and caring relationships already exist for the survivor of PTSD. Whereas for complex trauma, harm is actually being caused often by those who are in positions of, of care and of trust. Now, um, having a stable, trusted, caring community around you is, is one of the biggest factors that determines likely recovery for a trauma survivor. And, and that is good news for us, isn't it? Because surely this is something that our church families should excel in. And it is something that we can provide a lot of help in. But let me just take you through um, some of the symptoms. And again, I'm not expecting you, I don't want you to think you have to remember all of this. Just take one or two things away with you. Um, but the symptoms of trauma, that God has um, astonishingly created us, body and soul, hasn't he? And, and both body and soul are dramatically affected by trauma. And when we recognize these symptoms, we can immediately begin to be in a position of helping survivors towards a path of safety and stabilization. So let's just have a look at some of these symptoms because at the top there, I've grouped together some of the, the symptoms that are common for uh, PTSD and complex trauma. So there's a feeling for the survivor of being stuck in time before trauma and after trauma. And um, this, the trauma just, it, it just dominates everything. There is a very significant altered and fractured memory processing. Um, Hypervigilance hyper is very, very common, as are huge sleep issues, including really, really traumatic nightmares. And, and once sleep is disturbed, that, that spirals very quickly into a whole load of health problems. Um, survivors are often battling and oscillating between experiencing huge strong emotions like um, anger and, and guilt and shame, or conversely, just complete lack of emotions. And triggers and flashbacks 
are, are often unexpected and, and happen a lot. And this leads to often this desire for con con controlling their life and environment. So avoidance comes in and that will include avoiding a lot of very good and helpful things. Uh, but it often includes negative self-perceptions too and, and many coping strategies. And sadly, a lot of those coping strategies can be unhelpful for example, addictions, alcohol addiction, uh, unhelpful coping strategies, which, which cause a whole new layer of problems. Um, but when we look at complex trauma, um, some of these symptoms are also relevant for PTSD sufferers, but um, they tend to be more common in, in complex trauma sufferers. Mood severity and regulation tends to be way more severe. And a, a catastrophic mental health episode, often uh, including sectioning to a secure mental health unit is, is, is sometimes more likely. Uh, sadly, self-harm, suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts are more common. Uh, there tends to be a whole, whole array of uh, unexplained physical symptoms. Intimacy and trust issues in relationships are often very significant. Uh, as are heightened risk of further destructive relationships being experienced. Um, because of the brain development aspect, things like social and development issues are, are more prevalent, as is ongoing disassociation. And I don't know if you're aware of this term, but when you're in a, a physical situation where there is no escape, the, the next best thing we can do is, is mentally escape. So we mentally remove ourselves from the, the overwhelming physical event. And um, we just sort of, as if we sort of, with our mind go out of ourselves, but this can become a very habituated pattern of dealing with anything that is overwhelming. And it can be quite destructive in its, its own sense. So we, we need to be aware of these things. If we have no awareness of some of the symptoms that trauma survivors are suffering, we're likely to greatly misunderstand and then we're likely to cause further harm. Let's just move on a little bit to look at trauma processing then in this stage. And again, I'm not expecting you to come away from here doing some uh, trauma therapy or anything. I just want you to have an awareness of this because knowledge and awareness will help not harm. So once the survivor has become more aware and they're helping uh, being helped towards safety and stabilization in the midst of difficult symptoms and things like that. Um, what, what we can help them to do is, is begin to process by talking through um, the difficult, uh, very, very slowly, but the difficult events and very, very difficult feelings that they um, have, have experienced um, to help them to establish meaning and also establish a, a, a correct understanding of what has happened to them. Um, and I think in this particular uh, section, you know, biblical metaphors and psalms of lament can be so powerful and so helpful for, for trauma survivors. But it's also important, like that, that medical model with, with Sophie's trauma care, we also need to be, as, we, as, as they feel able to talk to us about something, we also need to ground them back in um, restabilizing and safety to, to get them engaging with things that are helpful and healthy and protective. So let's have a look at some of these areas that are significant in here because 
a survivor of, of trauma and particularly complex trauma I want to focus on because that is so much more hidden. So it's, it's often more difficult to address. But there are common wounds uh, that happen to, to trauma survivors um, and we need to understand them. So I just want to go through these with you a little bit because trauma undoubtedly silences the sufferer. You know, they fear telling their story. And even if they get over that fear of telling it, it's so difficult to find words to, to adequately describe the evil that they have experienced. No words will ever be fully adequate. And when words do start coming out, it, it tends to not be a coherent narrative. It's disjointed, it's repetitive. Um, it's sometimes told in a factual way, but it's utterly devoid of emotion which is very protective. There's a very much a fear of if I start crying, I'll never ever stop. Um, but, but this silencing is, is, is part of the trauma. But trauma also removes choice. And this can result in helplessness and despair for the, the survivor. Um, and, and they can be easily overwhelmed by, by many, many events that happen that, that might not overwhelm somebody in the same way if they uh, haven't experienced trauma. Um, another, another wound is that trauma isolates and it shames. If, if we think of a situation, particularly when there's been abuse in childhood, um, it's very easy for children to believe that it's something, something has been their fault. And, and the reality of abuse is they are often told it was their fault. Um, but but the, the, there's such confusion for the, uh, the survivor of abuse, they don't understand it themselves. So that feeling of no one will ever understand or believe me, um, when we can't really make sense of it ourselves, it is very, very real. And as I've just mentioned there, trauma of any kind is incredibly confusing about all sorts of different things. Um, but I think one of the areas that really um, affects people, and this will affect them in their spirituality, is, is their sense of self, their identity of who they are. But it also very much affects their, their sense and understanding of who God is. How, how do you wrestle with, how, how can a good God who sees all and knows all things not intervene and help me. That can be very confusing in their relationship with God and very confusing um, in, in things like uh, the conflict about loving um, a parent who's abusing them, but also fearing and sometimes hating them. Uh, it's very, very difficult. But the trauma fractures relationships, um, not just obviously with those that have abused them, but with, with people generally because trust and misunderstanding comes in so much. Just imagine for a second uh, being in the situation as a child of, of a pastor and that pastor goes, and this happens, goes and preaches on a Sunday morning and, and everybody in the church love their pastor and esteem their pastor and yet behind closed doors he is abusing his wife and children. That fractures their um, ability to understand, is this what all Christians are like, this, this split life? And how can they not see what's happening to us? This, this, these things are incredibly difficult and deep wounds. Um, so these are, these are five deep wounds in complex trauma that are, tend to be present with all survivors. But I want to emphasize something, and this is really vital. 
that one sufferer's experience of trauma is not the same as another's, even though there tends to be these five things. Um, and we embody the love and humility of Christ when we give survivors the dignity of remembering this always. I think when there's lack of awareness of this, it means that we can make some really bad mistakes and cause significant harm. So I just want to have a look at some of the common pastoral care errors that can happen when we don't know enough about trauma. And, and obviously we, we want to help, don't we? But um, because there are these deep trauma wounds that are present, it is very, very easy to open up that wound uh, further and cause more, more harm. And I think one of the areas we would do that, particularly in the area of the, the silent, silence wounds, is that we rush and we assume we know rather than we listen with the intention of really learning their story. Because when we don't do that, we inadvertently trigger flashbacks and that will immediately silence a survivor again. And I want to say as well, particularly for, uh, you know, a lot of you are, are pastors or, or men in positions of authority listening to this. Um, bear in mind that if, if somebody has been abused, um, it, it isn't always the case, but, but often and usually it is the situation where it is a, a man in a position of authority who is abusing. Now, this has very significant implications if, if care is offered by the pastor or an elder. Uh, so we, and, and, and that would be true if the sufferer was a, a man or a woman. So we need to be aware of these things. Um, again, with the wound of trauma rem removing choice, you know, we want to help and we think we can see ways uh, that genuinely might be helpful, but the danger is we, we tell them what to do. And when choice has been removed from them constantly by the, by the trauma, the abuse and trauma, uh, we can re-traumatize when we take away their choice. And I think one of the areas we can really fall into doing that is our own personal view on rejecting or overly embracing secular help. Uh, because we can have very strong views on this and we can push them to either completely embrace it unthinkingly uh, without considering the biblical, uh, um, uh, a biblical sort of worldview over that help or we can uh, reject it outright and say this needs to be purely dealt with biblically. And I think both views can be unhelpful. Um, I, I work a lot with trauma survivors in conjunction with um, secular charities that help and it is very, very helpful. But whatever we do, we don't remove the choice. Uh, it is always their choice. Um, isolation and shaming. If we're not aware of our own limits and it is really hard to hear the evil that has happened to survivors, um, we will cause more damage because we will quickly withdraw and that just isolates and shames them, uh, the sufferer even more. We cannot, and pastors in particular, are too busy with so many other pressures on their time. Um, but in addition to that, we shouldn't be doing this in, in uh, isolation. We need to do this in a sensitive community. Um, an area where we can add to the confusion wound, um, sorry, wound, not wound, is, is that we, we can sometimes see sinful things that the sufferer is doing. For example, addiction, you know, finding a refuge in a bottle. And 
what we can often do, um, whether it's is that or, or other slightly unhelpful things, is we can focus more on the sin rather than the suffering. And don't forget, often a survivor thinks it's their fault already. So if we focus on the sin rather than the suffering, that is going to confuse them further. And another important area is that we rush in with scripture. Now, of course we do, because we, we, we know that this is God's word and it can comfort and it can bring, uh, it can reorient us to truth when we are so confused. But the danger with that is, particularly when we haven't learned their story enough, that when we're talking about um, trauma that's been experienced in, in uh, Christian settings, almost always scripture has been used as a weapon to wound that sufferer. So when we open up scripture, we could easily wound very much, particularly if we're looking at sections of scripture that use commands. So I just want to alert you to that. But also uh, trauma fractures relationships and we can wound further when either we try to be their savior, but then we buckle under the pressure of trying to be something we were never ever created to be, rather than pointing them to the savior. Um, and another thing I think we commonly do, we uh, particularly if it's another Christian that has, or professing Christian that has caused the abuse, is pressure them to forgive. Now, uh, Winston Smith of CCS gives a really helpful illustration of this, and he says, um, it's a bit like slapping a sticky plaster on over a wound when we haven't cleaned the wound out. And what tends to happen is, is that wound um, gets infected uh, underneath the plaster of forgiveness and we are actually faced with a much more difficult situation than we originally had. So I just want you to be aware of some of those areas that we need to be really, really careful in. And let's just have a bit of a quick think just as I uh, come to the end. Uh, about redemptive care and what, what that looks like. Because over time, uh, just like Sophie's physical wound, uh, rehabilitation and, and restoration begins to happen. Survivors can live well, even with the immense wound of trauma that they've experienced. But I think we need to be very realistic about what recovery actually looks like. Um, you know, there's no doubt God can and does heal, sometimes dramatically, but often he doesn't heal in that way. And just like a physical wound, psychological trauma can be the same. You know, sometimes with a physical wound, there can be um, complete recovery. And that is also true for survivors of um, a trauma and, and, and of abuse. And, and they like to be called thrivers rather than survivors, which says something about where they are. But, but for others, they will remain ongoing daily difficulties for a long, long time. And, and for yet others, life will continuously be affected by, by the, the wound or the injury they've experienced and ongoing intensive support is needed um, always. And, and you need to be aware of that in terms of psychological trauma too. But we can offer redemptive care for, um, trauma survivors and we can really add a lot and do see healing and it's it's beautiful and it's wonderful so let's just have uh, a bit of a think about what that looks like and and by having more of an awareness of the areas where we can easily harm be encouraged because we're already more likely to be in a position to help 
And I just want to draw your attention briefly to a lady called Diane Langberg. She is a Christian psychologist in America. I'm sure some of you have heard of her. Her, um, she has decades of experience in, in, in helping trauma survivors. Her work is amazing. Her books, her uh, podcasts, her, her uh, YouTube training videos, I'd encourage you to look. And I've based some of what I'm gonna talk about now on her work. So please do look her up. But in the same way as um, we can easily cause uh, further wounds in, uh, um, and re-traumatize in these five trauma wound areas, we can also offer redemptive care when not necessarily in, in what we do, but how we do it and how we model Christ through this. Because when we gently and slowly encourage and help them to speak, um, we, when we sit with them and, and, and weep with those who weep, when we, when we do what Job's friends did, the best thing they did in that first week, we were just, they were just with him and they were silent. Um, that is already showing something wonderful to them that they can start healing the wound. I think Psalms of Lament, uh, particularly perhaps Psalm 55, gives a great voice uh, to help them to speak. Um, but there's also other Psalms um, that uh, aren't lamenting ones, but Psalm 23 is just beautiful for comfort and protection. Um, but, but also when we always emphasize and respect their choice, even if perhaps personally we don't agree with it, we're beginning to reverse their helplessness and despair. As we slowly build a healthy, trustworthy com community around them, it's removing their isolation. As uh, when, um, when we compassionately and slowly offer a better truth, it begins to reverse the confusion and lies that they've believed or that they've been told. Um, and when we patiently build trust, we can reverse over time mistrust and betrayal. And as we lovingly show them the promises and presence of a savior who cares, we can do something amazingly redemptive uh, as we walk alongside them in their suffering. I think in this particular area of fractured relationships, church leaders can do something amazing when they model Christ's power that was always used uh, with gentle strength to sacrificially protect and build and encourage um, those who were being oppressed and crushed by those who abused their power. And the pastors and church leaders have a, a lot they can offer there. But we can also show them the promises and pay, um, uh, presence of a saviour who cares, a saviour who understands because he was mocked, he was beaten, he was isolated and betrayed, he was silenced and chose the cross of shame for you and for me. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and he enters pain and draws close with words and power of comfort. And in time, his voice can become the loudest voice um, that the sufferer of trauma is tuned into, louder than the abuser's voice and louder than our own voice often of self-condemnation. We can show them a new identity uh, being a trauma survivor is an important part of their identity, but they are a precious child of God who is loved so much, Jesus died for them. And we can point them to hope, not hope that is in a thing, but hope that is in a person who cares and who is called Jesus and who is 
are gradually making us all new until the day we see him face to face. And when we see him face to face, we will also see the trauma wounds of the nail marks in his hands and his feet. And it's because of his wounds that every aspect of trauma one day will be gone. There will be no more tears or suffering or sorrow. It will only be eternal joy with Jesus. And what a wonderful hope that is. So just as I close, just a reminder, supporting uh, survivors of trauma is a huge privilege, but it's always slow and it can't ever be rushed. And having a uh, trauma-informed approach to pastoral care changes what can be a really harmful mindset that looks at a confusing um, situation and says, what's wrong with you? It changes it to be a helpful mindset that says, I'm so sorry, please help me to understand what has happened to you so I can help. And when we do that, we show something beautiful about the mindset of Christ. Um, in a, a few weeks, 25th and 26th of June, Church as a Refuge are running an online conference. Diane Langberg is the, the main speaker there. There are others who are leaders in this field, are uh, talking about power, uh, trauma, domestic abuse, spiritual abuse. I would really encourage you to sign up. It really will be excellent. And they can tell you a lot more about it than, than I can. So um, I hope that was helpful. I hope that wasn't overwhelming for you. Thank you. Catherine, thank you um, so much. And um, we'll, we'll make your sheets um, available to us online so that people can follow those up. We might ask you to just give us some recommendations for additional resources that um, uh, people can go to to gain greater help. So we'll follow up with that uh, on um, the website. Um, I've asked um, Ellen McGowan, who's our kind of women's ministry coordinator, who's going to pray for us um, at this point. Then there'll be an opportunity for a few moments to ask questions to Catherine. Then I want to say just a little bit about where we're at with COVID guidance. And then if there are any questions people want to ask after that, we can come to me. So firstly, Ellen is going to pray. And then any questions for Catherine, which if you want to direct them to Phil, that would be great. So, um, Eleanor, over to you. Dear Lord, we come before you, we bow in your presence. We thank you that you are kind, that you are compassionate. We thank you that you are close to the brokenhearted and that you save those who are crushed in spirit. We thank you for the privilege of being able to listen today. We recognize our own weakness and we thank you that you are able and that you are sufficient. We thank you that you know the dark paths that many, many go through and we thank you that uh, you never abandon your people. And so we do pray that you would continue to help us as we seek to serve you to do so um, with um, carefulness, with compassion, with patience, with grace, and with your help and by the um, help of the Holy Spirit, we do pray that you would help us to walk alongside those who are and have experienced great trauma in their lives, whether that be um, PTSD or more complex uh, PTSD. We pray that you would uh, um, continue to educate us, help us to work with others, 
help us to draw others in when we need additional help. We so um, thank you for those like Catherine and others who have great expertise and we pray that you would continue to bless them and help them in all their labours and for those in the secular field too who are able to um, offer much, much wisdom. Help us to draw upon um, good resources. We pray for this conference coming up as well when Diane Landberg will be speaking and pray that that would be uh, a helpful and an equipping time. So we express our need of you and we pray that you would help us to take the long view and to look towards eternity too when all suffering will be, will be passed. There'll be no more crying, no more death, no more tears. Um, we pray that you would give us um, hope-filled hearts and that you would help us to keep holding out the wonderful um, nature and person of the Lord Jesus Christ and to have confidence in the gospel and in your power to be at work even now. And we pray this all for your glory and for the good of your people and for the good of society. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Phil, do we have any questions, particularly for Catherine? Sorry, I couldn't get myself off mute. Yes, Catherine, thank you. That was a, a really uh, difficult listen, but a really important one. So thank you. And um, I wonder if I can start with this one. Uh, we will all have uh, survivors of trauma, perhaps complex trauma in our churches. Uh, a lot of them will be um, suffering in silence, not speaking out about it. You mentioned some of the um, symptoms there are of trauma. Is there anything else church leaders can do just to help people to 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 maybe open up disclose or do we just sort of leave things as as they are yeah thanks Bill. It, i think i think there's something really important that church leaders can do actually and it, and it is is it's starting to talk about these things from the front um it, it is just um you know there are just so many opportunities in scripture to just be mentioning things like the reality of trauma, the, the sad reality of, of the evils of abuse that are happening in Christian homes. And, and just to make it, you know, common knowledge that we, as pastors and church leaders, we're, we're aware of this and, and we, we will address these uh, situations when they're brought to our attention. Um, I, I would love it if church leaders and, and pastoral care teams, women's workers, people like that had a bit more training in this area so that um, when someone does come forward, they really are in a position to help. But I think being open about it from the front and including some examples in, in sermons and things like that where appropriate can be really helpful. I think this is a really honest question that's come in from, from one of our leaders. Sometimes we do put our foot in it, we, we do the wrong thing. But this question of addressing sin instead of suffering sounds kind of absolutely crucial. Can you give us any other kind of pointers on, on, on how we can avoid making those mistakes, especially when we see people that are, as far as our eyes can see, really harming um, them, themselves? And we want to react against that, but it's difficult to know perhaps how, how to do that well. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. It's you know, this comes up all the time, sort of, you know, I, I, I'm a biblical counsellor and, and often, you know, you, you will be sitting with someone and um, say, for example, is a woman who's realised the last 20 years of marriage, her professing Christian husband has, has abused her. Just, just click. And it's not uncommon for her to be angry, for her to be swearing, for her, you know, 
and you're sort of sat there like, oh my goodness, yeah, this is this is quite hard to listen to. But if I just turn around and said to her, I'm really sorry, but it's not really very becoming of a Christian to be using language like that, is it? Um, she's she's going to walk out my door, and I'm never going to see her again. It, you know, my experience often is with with people in trauma and things like this. When they're sinning, they know they're sinning, but they're a bit stuck and don't really know another way. And as the focus comes to address the trauma, often the sin, they let loose of the sin as they uh, and they repent of the sin. Um, it's not unusual six weeks later for a woman to say to me, "Oh, Catherine, you know that day I came in and said that. I'm so sorry. That must have been awful." You know, it, God through His Spirit is at work in all of these situations. So um, I, I think, you know, in 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 um, one Thessalonians, you know. Um, help the weak, encourage the faint-hearted, rebuke the idle. And, you know, obviously there is a place where we do need to speak into sin. But I think even when it's quite obvious, by encouraging and helping uh, the weak and faint-hearted, the spirit often, as, as they learn better ways and have a voice to, to speak this out to the Lord, rather than hold this anger or, or fear inside, often the sin goes of its own accord uh, i hope that's helpful thanks catherine and do you think the pandemic itself is likely to have caused people to suffer trauma and what i mean by that uh, the question i was asking will we see a tsunami do you think of people uh, disclosing trauma and and uh, in in the kind of weeks and months ahead yeah I, I think the reality is yes i think that will happen i think it, it's already beginning to happen now um as I, I think I mentioned, I, I wonder if this will be a brand new COVID trauma that, you know, is sort of reflects some of the traumas, but, but is unique in its own way. Um, and, I, and I think as well, particularly when I was mentioning about complex trauma and the catastrophic um, mental health episodes that can sometimes happen, what sometimes happens is uh, particularly uh, childhood stuff can really get crushed as a coping mechanism. But when you go through a stressful period of time, often that happens maybe GCSEs or A-level or going to uni, there's this catastrophic mental health implosion. And sometimes sectioning happens, but it's often in help for that where abuse and trauma from childhood comes out. And I wonder if over COVID time where all of our usual helps and coping mechanisms and helpful relationships have been removed from us and we've been left to cope with a, a separate stressor but that has brought other things to the surface my, my fear is that as people come back there will be this chaos with them um, as lots come to the surface um, and I don't know what to do you know we need to be praying about that don't we Thanks, Catherine. There are one or two other questions, but I wonder if they'd be better dealt with uh, by pointing people to resources. Maybe we can pick those up sort of post-seminar, particularly about going into more detail in a couple of areas. But um, yeah. Catherine, that's brilliant. Thank you. John. Good. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Catherine, for serving us so well and challenging us. Um, and we really, really appreciate that. Let me pray as we finish. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for all that we've um, heard today. We want to thank you and praise you that it's the Lord Jesus who died to bring full redemption for his people. Thank you that he is the one who heals us of our wounds, our spiritual wounds, 
um, our psychological wounds, uh, ultimately in the resurrection, our physical wounds as well. Please would we have great joy in the redemption that we've received from him. Pray for anyone who's been on this um, sort of uh, webinar who has been affected by what's heard that you would um, help them and draw close to them and they provide, they gain the help that they need. Please help us to be very wise in the way that we support and help the members of our churches as we perhaps discover traumas um, that we were never aware of. Um, and please give us great trust in you, um, a great wisdom and um, a great peace as we seek to continue to navigate um, uh, this uh, gradual relaxation of the COVID restrictions. Might you mercifully enable um, uh, of those limitations to be lifted quickly, we ask and pray. Give our government and those who are making the decisions immense wisdom as they judge all of the data and they seek to discern what is wise and in the best interests of society as a whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the FIC podcast. For more resources for church leaders, subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and visit our website at fiec.org.uk.